All right, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, responsibility for the gospel. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a short verse, we've all heard it. Let's just read that one more time, I'd like you to to quote that with me. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, I want to share with you three thoughts this morning and then probably wrap it up with just just three little practical points. Um, But three thoughts concerning who is responsible. Who is the one that God holds responsible for the preaching of the gospel? The first thought I'd like to share with you this morning is that it's every follower's responsibility to be a fisher of men. Jesus said when he confronted Peter and John and and the disciples. He said to them, follow me, and what will happen as a result of you following me? I will make you fishers of men. So every follower of Jesus is responsible to share the gospel with others. Every believer, every Christian. Think about how Jesus called the very first disciples. And when Jesus came after being baptized in the River Jordan, He called his first disciples from the edge of the Lake of Galilee to follow him. Jesus didn't say, uh, I'm going to start by forming an organization. I'm going to form a church. I need to get you guys to join this church. This church is going to do great things. This church is is going to spread my word and win the law. So Jesus didn't begin by forming an organization or forming an organization called the church um, and then ask people to join it. Instead, he began by calling individual people, think of yourself, to be a follower and a fisher. A follower and a fisher. They go together. You follow and you'll become a fisher. Follow and fish. Follow and fish. You get the idea? That's how Jesus started. That was his message. And so fishers of men came first. Church came later. Fishers of men came first. Church came later. In fact, Jesus said at one point to his disciples, who do men say that I am in Matthew chapter 16? Peter responds and says, well, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You are God who's come and condescended and come down from eternity into the world. And Jesus, in in verse 18, says to Peter, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father in heaven revealed it to you. And then he makes a startling statement. Jesus says, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What rock was he talking about? People think that that because Jesus called Peter the rock, that Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my church upon Peter the rock. But if you remember what was going on, Peter says, I see it. You are Jesus the Messiah. And he makes the proclamation. He proclaims Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus says, that is the rock. The rock of proclaimed revelation. Not just revelation, but proclaimed revelation. The rock that the church is built upon is a person to whom the Father has revealed that Jesus is the Christ. Their life has been touched, their life has been transformed, and they are declaring out that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus said, that's the rock. 
a man or a woman making that profession, I'm going to build my church on that. So do you get what's going on? So Jesus, um, throughout his ministry with things like this, endorses the idea, fishers first, church later. Fishers of men came first. So the rock upon which the church is built is the proclamation of the individual by the proclamation of the gospel by individuals to whom it has been revealed. So the witness of Jesus' followers is the rock of the church in a wave-tossed world. Not church-going. The rock is not church-going. You have not stabilized sinners because you've brought them into church. The answer is not bringing people into church. Please don't get me wrong. But, but let me tell you, you can bring people into church. You haven't st- brought stability. The church itself is not the rock. The proclamation of the gospel is the rock upon which the Lord builds His church. The church is not the foundation. The preaching of the gospel is the foundation. Which brings me to the second thought that I'd like to share with you this morning, and that is I'd like to talk about Christianity versus churchianity. Christianity versus churchianity. The rock is built either on Christ, the proclamation of Christ, or the rock is the church. Well, the descent from Christianity into churchianity is lethal. It's deadly. And to to see just how deadly it is for the church to slide from Christianity into churchianity, we can look at Revelation chapter 2 where the Lord himself addresses one of the strongest and most powerful churches of that day, the church at Ephesus. When we read the epistle of the Ephesians, some of the deepest and most profound things were written to the Ephesians. These guys were sharp. These guys knew the word. And they were very faithful, it appears. But something happened. And the Lord speaks to them out of Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. I'll just grab that section. And the Lord says, after he talks about how wonderful they are and their great works, he says, but I have this against you. Can you imagine Jesus coming in and taking over the service? And saying, all right, I recognize all these things, but I have this against you. I don't know about you, but I'd be on my face and my ears would be open. I want to hear what he said. I'd be afraid of what he might say. Do you ever imagine the Lord coming into your house saying, I love you, but I have this against you? Would you pay attention if he did that? Well, let's pay attention to what he said to the Ephesian church. Because most churches today would be thrilled to be the Ephesian church of of this day. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Notice the phrase, at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. When I was a young believer and I read that, I was stunned. I marveled. I thought these Ephesian believers are like the hallmark in the epistles of of what I thought a believer should be. And yet, look at the Lord. One of the most severe warnings was given to them. I will remove your lampstand 
if you don't repent. What is it that they did? Two things. You have left your first love and you've stopped doing the first works. Well, I've already given you the key out of Jesus' own mouths as to what the first love and first works were. Everybody always says that, well, they got caught up in works and they left loving Jesus. When I read Ephesians and I read about the Ephesians, I don't buy that. I don't buy that they stopped loving Jesus. I don't think that was the issue. Their first love was not loving Jesus. When Jesus met Peter and the disciples, he said to them, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The first love is following Jesus. You can love Jesus in an abstract Christian way. It doesn't mean you're following him. The first love is following him. And going right along with that, you're following him by being a fisher of men. If you're no longer a fisher of men, then you're really not following Jesus like he wants to be followed. I know that's, that's hard. That's hard for me to say and hear myself say it, so I know that it's not easy for you to hear. But the first love and the first works of the disciples is following and fishing, not going to church and, quote, being faithful to stay a Christian. Am I getting through to anybody this morning? First love and first works were clearly spelled out by Jesus long before the whole concept of church was ever introduced. Nobody had any idea there was going to be such a thing as church. It was everything about Jesus for the three and a half years of his ministry was about you personally following him and sharing him with others, telling other people. Do you realize that even the people who were not disciples in the sense that they followed on his team, he sent away and said, go show what the Lord has done for you. Everyone is responsible to share Jesus if Jesus has touched your life. Follower makes you a fisher of men. God's saving light to the Gentiles, to the, to the unsaved people of the world, is the anointing upon the witness of a Christian sharing the gospel through their own personal testimony. Not a church. But it's people who are showing what Jesus has done for them, who are not ashamed or afraid to just tell the simple story of what Jesus means to me and what he has done for me. That is the light, and that is the calling that God has called every person to, and as long as we do that, the church will be built upon us. But when the Lord warned about the lampstand, he was warning that the removal of the lampstand would be the removal of his presence, his yoke-breaking, soul-saving, miracle-working presence. Are you listening to me? So God will never if you take what I've said before and you accept it up to this point, then I could make this point this morning that God is never going to accept entertaining praise and worship, social activities, and clever life talks as a substitute or a replacement upon which He will build His church. But Christianity has become churchianity. We have replaced the centerpiece of Christianity which is the common member of every church, sharing Jesus with the lost. And the Lord said, that's where I connect with this church. 
To the extent that you do that is to the extent that I am in the midst of you. To the extent that you share the gospel with others is to the extent. But churchianity depends on entertaining praise and worship music, providing social activities. Isn't it wonderful all these unsaved people can come in and get saved and now they have a social life, they've got belonging, they have family. There's nothing against that. Don't think that I'm criticizing those things because I'm not there wonderful but they're not life transforming. They're not going to change the eternal destination of someone who's lost and on their way to hell. Jesus came to save sinners. And, it, and it's not a religious social club that transforms people. It is the sharing, the direct sharing of the gospel. Paul in Romans 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And he said, woe to me if I rejoice in anything other than Jesus Christ and, and Him crucified. So, the unsaved in the world today, they need churches that are full of simple, first love followers. That are fishers of men. That's what the world needs. Now, that church may not be popular. And that church may fall out of agreement with modern political correctness. But that church will be what heaven recognizes as an embassy of heaven. That church will have the presence of Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord has not changed His objective. He's not trying to impress the world. He's trying to save the world. He's not trying to uh, get the world to finally popularize Him. He is trying to save people who are lost. Why would the Lord care one bit about unsaved people who are insane giving Jesus two thumbs up? Yeah, Jesus. What does He care what people who are out of their minds in sin and corruption and bound, what does that do for Him? It does, the only thing God cares about is what he can do for them, not what they think about him. And so I say to you again today, the world needs churches that are filled with people like you who are sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Followers who are dropping their Jesus nets for souls everywhere they go. Hallelujah. Come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. In the book of Acts, the Bible says Jesus added to the church daily such as should be saved. And I'm sure somebody could get up and challenge me and, and present an argument and say, well, if, if you're saying that the church is not the rock that draws people to Jesus, then why does it say that the Lord added to the church? Well, the church that the Lord added to in those days was a church full of Jesus-following net droppers. That's why he added to the church, because they were dropping their nets. He was adding to the church because they were fishers of men. They weren't trying to win the world with the church. They were winning the world with the gospel. You know, these things, you can almost overlook the fact that they can get mushed together. But churchianity and Christianity are absolutely opposed to each other. They look close because the same people are involved with them. And the same activities tend to take place. But the difference is a universe apart. The difference is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ being the felt 
responsibility of every member versus a religious organization that has set up a professional department to take care of sharing the gospel and everybody else just comes to enjoy the music, the life talks, and the socialization. Which brings me to my third point that I, idea I'd like to share with you. I'd like to talk about Jesus people. When I got saved, I was a Jesus people. Some of you are old enough to remember the Jesus people. Life and Look magazine did front page, front, uh, you know, cover stories. It was uh, quite a thing in the world in that day, and not just in America, but around the world. A revolution swept the world in the late 60s and early 70s called the Jesus Movement. Not the God Movement, the, not the church movement, the Jesus Movement. They weren't church people, they weren't God people, they were Jesus people. You see, first love, first works Christians are Jesus people. What is a Jesus person? A first love, first works. A follower who's a fisher of men. That's a Jesus person. Are you listening to me? They talk about Jesus. Jesus. Some people, even in church, can't use that name. They're uncomfortable. There's authority. There's something about the name of Jesus. You know, the term God is broad, vague, abstract. We can talk about God and people could be thinking about a forest. They could be thinking about ducks and stars. They could be thinking about the vast, the vast, distant intelligence that ignores their prayers. God is so non-specific, non-confrontational. It can almost be an invention of whosoever mind the thought happens to be rattling around in. But you say Jesus, and it's not people's idea. Jesus is specific. Jesus is in your face. Jesus blew into history and declared himself. There's no mistaking who Jesus is. So first love, first works Christians are Jesus people. The name of Jesus distills that broad, vague concept of God down to His specific revealed mission. When you think of Jesus, you think of saving lost souls. When I think of Jesus, I think Billy Graham. Standing in front of millions, giving a simple gospel message, and then challenging listeners to come and give their life to Jesus Christ. When I think of Jesus... When I think of most churches today, though, I see that abstract, kind of gooey, non-formed, nondescript, good-time, religious, social club where people can come, and the centerpiece is the praise and worship music. That's what's popular in the church today, 20, 30, 40 years ago. It was the teaching. Maybe before that it was something else. But churchianity is always going to have some centerpiece that has its origins in the Bible, but isn't Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. They're going to make an idol out of something other than Jesus. When Jesus is not Lord of everyone's life, then we make religious idols out of all the stuff that goes along with him. Are you with me so far this morning? 
So when you speak the name of Jesus, it distills God down to the challenge. I have come into the world, I love you, and I am your only way to heaven. And I freely give everything right up to my death on Calvary's cross. I give my life to you. That is Jesus. That's his gospel. And anyone who has received him has the authorization and the power to go out in the world and tell other people what Jesus has done for You don't have to be able to explain everything about God. Who can do that? But you can talk about Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? The farther that Christians drift from their calling to be fishers of men, the more they talk about God and the less they talk about Jesus. Why do today's Christians talk about God but never mention Jesus very much? I, I watch them on Facebook. God this, God that. Praise you, God. I love you, God. I'm not criticizing that, but, you know, would you married women come home and address your husband and say, Hey, man. I love you, man. You'd say, Bill, he's Bill to you, not just a man. But today's Christians can't seem to bring themselves to address Jesus. And when they talk to other people, have you heard about God? Do you know God loves you? Is that true? It's true. God loves them. But nobody's getting saved by the name of God. It's Jesus it's the gospel of Jesus. All authority is in the name of Jesus. Heaven's represented in the name of Jesus. You know, you might think, oh, he's, you know, he's just picking, nitpicking. Not nitpicking. Let me tell you, in, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus stood in front of the disciples after he rose from the dead, commissioned them and sent them out. And might I point out, there's still not a church at this point. There's no church yet. They're just individuals about 500 of them standing there, and he's commissioning them. He's telling them what they want to do. And let me tell you what he doesn't tell them. He doesn't tell them, I want you to go organize. I want you to go to Jerusalem. Go to the upper room. I want you to form a committee. Start with the apostles, and I want you to get organized. Once you get organized, then go out, and you're going to call what you do, church. And once you set up that church, I want you to rent a place, and then invite people to come. And as they come into the church, I'm going to save them. How many of you know that is not the conversation Jesus said? Let me read you what he said. Go preach the gospel. Tell people about me, each of you as individuals. Every one of you is tasked with the responsibility to be the preacher of the gospel, to share the gospel of Jesus. And these signs shall follow them who are church leaders. Oh, you're good. You sharp bunch. You've read the Bible. No, it says these signs shall follow them that Believe, hallelujah, in my name they shall cast out devils, speak with new tongues, they shall take up service, blah, 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 any deadly things, so forth and so on. He's talking about their authority over the, the uh, battles of life and over the weapons of the enemy. He's not talking about grabbing snakes and preaching the gospel with a sack of snakes. So, um, you, But I, I probably don't need to explain that to you. I, I think that's pretty clear. But I want you to point out that Jesus said, I authorize you and I give you responsibility to go in my name. Not God. You're not representing God. You are the ambassador of Jesus 
Christ. Because God, that vast, invisible, ambiguous concept is represented in human history by Jesus Christ. God has decided to reveal Himself and make Himself known as Jesus. So, so why do Christians speak today about God, but they can't seem to talk about Jesus? Well, it's because you can believe in God, and you can talk about God, but if you're going to be a fisher of men, if you're going to share the gospel, then it's Jesus. So most Christians today do not feel responsible to share the gospel. They don't feel it's their responsibility. So they can talk about God. But if you're going to lead someone to God, you've all of a sudden got to pull Jesus out. So maybe that's why the church today doesn't talk much about Jesus. Because they're just trying to influence the world with God. It's like a Coke commercial, an old bad Coke commercial. I'd like to make the world to sing in perfect Come into our church and learn about God. It's like a bad Coke commercial. Back in the Jesus people days, 45 or so years ago, let me take you back there and just point one thing out to you, and this will tell you everything you need to know about the Jesus people. Back in the Jesus people days, if you referred to the Lord as God rather than Jesus, It was considered an indication that you didn't know him. And I'm not joking. That's not a joke. If people talked about God, we figured, well, we need to get you saved. Because nobody that knows Jesus refers to him as God. They refer to him as Jesus. Again, it's not because we had some weird thing that it wasn't right to use the term God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's God the Father condescending into history as the Son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But we're not preaching the concept of God. We're preaching the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so back in the Jesus people days, we just figured if you talked about God, you weren't on a first name basis with him. And you need to get saved because if you got saved, you were on a first name basis. It's Jesus, Jesus. We used to sing songs, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus. You know, it was just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was amazing. And in fact, let me say to you that uh, we were called Jesus people because we lived in Jesus houses and we worshiped at Jesus gatherings. And when we were criticized by the world, we were called Jesus freaks. You see, we were so identified with Jesus that even those that criticized us tied us to Jesus. Nobody said those God freaks over there. No, it was Jesus freaks. Where do you live? I live in that Jesus house over there. Where do you go to church? Go to that Jesus gathering. You you a part of anything? Yeah, those Jesus people. Oh, he's one of those Jesus freaks. So, you get the idea that the, 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 the fact and the evidence that modern Christians today talk less about Jesus, far less, than they did years ago is evidence that they are drifting from responsibility for the gospel. Christianity has fallen into churchianity. 
And I believe that the message to the Ephesian church is absolutely the appropriate message to help the church today. In fact, what I'm preaching and sharing with you this morning, I believe, is one of the major adjustments that the body of Christ needs today. We could criticize, and I don't criticize the church. I love the church. I'm a church person. I believe in church. Um, and uh, I'm grieved that so many Christians have abandoned church, have abandoned the idea of church just because things don't go well or go right. And if you think that I'm just simply down on the church and criticizing the church, um, you've got the, you're getting the wrong message. The message is the church, the true church, the church that, that the Lord wants to keep His lampstand, His light in, shining, is simply whether it's, whether it's 10 people or 10,000 people. It's a church where all the people feel and live out the responsibility to be fishers of men. Everyone feels the responsibility to follow up on that visitor that was in church last Sunday. But churches where people come in and it's all about, I want to have my great worship experience and then I want to hear a great life-enhancing message and I just love the socialization. I didn't have all this attention when I was, before I got saved, now I'm a part of this great church and I got all this attention, all this stuff. That's all wonderful. That's a great byproduct of, of being saved, being part of God's forever family. But, but churches where, by and large, most of the people come in and visitors come in, you don't know if they're saved or not saved. People are all around you, right in the church gathering. We're not talking about out at Walmart where you're shopping or on your job, but right there, and people come in and go out and never go up to them and find out, do you know Jesus? Do you love the Lord? Or bother to follow up. They just think, oh, well, the ministry will take care of it. But see, if you go back to Jesus' original ministry, he said to Peter, you are the ministry. And the rock of you sharing Jesus is what I build my church on. So is everything that's called church today really the church of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus said, I'm building my church on the rock of people who, because I've touched their life, they cannot help but touch others' lives. They live to touch others. They live to bring others in the kingdom. When somebody comes in, don't be one of those believers that think, well, Pastor Nick will get them. Or Terry will follow them up. Or somebody will do this. I, I wouldn't want to get in the way. You know, I feel like when it comes to sharing the love of Jesus, line up. Come on, we can't get enough of that love. We can't get enough of it. I mean, look, we need to be Jesus people. And my, my, I said I'm going to end with three little focus points. That's my first one. It's very simple. Become a Jesus person. That's my first practical advice to you. Be a Jesus person. Um, you know, being a God believer and being a churchgoer is no replacement for being a Jesus follower and a fisher of men. Let me say that just one more time. I'll move on to my second point. Being a God believer and a churchgoer is not a replacement for being a Jesus follower and a fisher of men. Number two, my second practical point, um, 
And it really is a practical focus point for you to help you take this message and actually do something with it in your own life. Number two, develop your testimony. You might not be able to explain to the satisfaction of the atheists of the world that God exists. You may not be able to answer everybody's questions about how did a fish swallow Jonah? Was the world really flooded? Did Jesus really feed 5,000? How did this happen? What about the Mount of Transfiguration? You may not be able to address all those. Hey, you may not even know some of that stuff. What you do know is that Jesus saved you. You know how he did it. You know what it felt, what it means to you. Jesus came into my heart. I was lost. I was blind. Now I'm found. Now I see. Jesus saved you, so tell other people what he did for you. That is being a fisher of men. Look, don't argue with people about God. And let me tell you why you don't have to argue with people about God. Because you'll never win that argument. And let me tell you why you'll never win it. Because God is not up for discussion as far as God's concerned. Whether God exists, as far as God's concerned, He's never bothered to try to present humanity with an argument for God. Have you ever noticed that the Bible does not, the whole Bible does not provide one single argument that's designed to satisfy naysayers and doubters. The only time when it's ever actually addressed is in Romans chapter 1 where God said, you know, my existence is not up for debate or argument. Nature, the stars of the heaven and the earth and all that's in it screams my existence. If they won't listen to that, then that's their problem. So don't bother to argue with people about God. Just skip right to Jesus. Seriously, let me, let me help embolden many of you who think you're not qualified to lead people to Jesus. You don't have to explain God. Don't bother trying. It's not up for debate. If they choose not to believe it, guess what? Their problem is not your responsibility. Say that again. Their problem is not your responsibility. You see, I used to be an atheist. I was an existentialist atheist with a horrible attitude. I know what disbelieving God is all about. It's an attitude problem. And you're not going to change that attitude by convincing people that there's a God. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can speak about Jesus. You see, Jesus is specific. He's not vague. They can't handle Jesus. Jesus handles them. You, te- you go to somebody and you say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. This was my situation, this was my life, and I, and I called out to Jesus and he came into my heart and he saved me. Well, what are they going to do with that? You know what? The uh, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon your witness and your testimony. So develop your story, develop your testimony and share it because God, the Lord's not going to anoint your, your arguments, your intellectual arguments about God, but he will anoint the gospel of Jesus. Paul said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is the gospel? It's the story of how Jesus, who died on the cross for the world's sins, saved you. 
It doesn't become real until it becomes personal through your life. He who died for our sins saved me. I'm a living witness and a testimony. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Then leave it with him and watch God move. So develop your testimony. Look at one of my favorite stories is out of John chapter 9. Jesus heals a man who's born blind. And he goes into the temple. The Pharisees see him and they say, you're the guy that was blind. How'd you get healed? Jesus healed me. What, that Jesus of Nazareth guy? Yeah, yeah, Jesus healed me. Well, he couldn't have been the one that healed you. He, well, we know, he's just theologically not right. He's a sinner. And, and they tried to talk about him, and they said, Jesus didn't heal you. Give God the glory. Now, there you go. There's churchianity versus Christianity. They said, Jesus couldn't have healed you. Give God the glory. And the man said, you know what? I don't know about all that. But what I do know is, I was blind, now I see, and Jesus did it. So, let me just say to you, wrapping up this second piece of advice, don't let what you don't know ruin what you do know. Don't let what you don't know rob you from preaching what you do know. You know Jesus saved you, preach it. Hallelujah. Share that message of Jesus and the gospel, and don't worry about the rest. Come on, somebody. I'm doing a better job preaching than you are amening, but that's all right. Praise the Lord. All right, third and final little ditty, little point. Don't add to churchianity. Be a witness. Don't add to churchianity. Now, I know that most of you are probably thinking, churchianity is the fault of pastors and church leaders. They're the ones who have created churchianity. And I have to say that to a large extent, that's probably true. But every time church people come in and they sit down and they go along with that program and they start, they're addicted to it, they, they want it, they judge their church experience by it, the entertainment of the praise and worship, the uh, socialization and the um, cleverness of the, of the teaching, you know, the life, little life lessons. Do not add to, do not support, do not feed churchianity. Be a witness of Jesus. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the church leaders who determine whether a church is going to be churchianity or Christianity. It's everybody saying, I'm responsible to share Jesus Christ with others. It's when you use your church involvement to share Jesus with other people. Share the gospel with them. When somebody comes in, bother to get to know them and see if they're safe, see if they love the Lord. And of course, we're not talking about being obnoxious for Jesus. We're just talking about being wise and loving. And, you know, I, I'm sure I don't have to explain to you how to love people in an intelligent way, right? None of you would ever think of being obnoxious, but please lose the fear and let love fill your heart for the unsaved. That's what Christianity is. And I would close with this one thought. Walk through every activity of life as a gospel opportunity. Walk through every activity of life as a gospel opportunity. Close your Bibles and stand.
So who is responsible for the gospel? And let's make it even more specific. Who's responsible for the gospel? Oh, I like it. You see, I could have shaved 15 minutes off that message. I could have gotten that response 15 minutes into the message. Hallelujah. That's right. I am responsible for the gospel. The Lord is so pleased when we share Him with others. That is what He will build His church on. You know, if we embrace this message, the Lord will add to this church. I mean, really, that's the point this morning, isn't it? I mean, that's just the unvarnished fact of it. Pray with me. Father, we come before you this morning. We don't want to be an Ephesian church with proper Bible doctrine and proper stands against evil and for righteousness and that being the only thing we have going for us. His Lord, the Ephesian church, you said, well, you've got this going for you. You hate the false doctrine of the Nicolaitans. But Lord, that wasn't enough to keep you from threatening to take the light from that church. You said, go back to your first love and do the works that you did at first. And Lord, we just come to you this morning as we look at an opportunity that stretches out before us as we walk out of these doors into a new week, I pray that you will help each and every one of us to change our habit, to change our thinking, so that we will walk into every situation of life as an opportunity for the gospel. Help us, Lord, to distill our thoughts down to our own testimony so that we can talk about Jesus and what He's done for me. Bless us, Father. Lord, as we endeavor to take this message and walk it out, we ask in Your precious name. Now, if you'd lift up your hands towards the Lord just in, just in worship, I'd like to close this with a blessing. May that wonderful and everlasting light of the Lord's love and countenance shine unfiltered upon you. May He fill your heart and may His Spirit find unfettered access to your mind, thoughts, emotions, and even your body so that healing rises in you this week. Love fills your heart, wisdom your mind, and may the Lord go before you and lead you into this week. May this be an upswept week of progress and fruit and joy so that no matter what trials may await you in this week, you shall go out with joy. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. The trees of the field will clap their hands. And the Lord will direct you and uphold you. And you will come again rejoicing, bringing your fruit with you. In His mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Glory to God, church. God bless you. We love you.